Good morning, everyone. It's, it's so good to see everyone. It's completely different, like just talking to an empty room. <laughs> but so this is this is nice. It's, um, so yesterday I moved across town and had a bunch of friends and family helping me, um, but especially my parents. Like my mom came over Friday night, helped me pack all my dishes. Yesterday they helped me move, and today they're helping me clean. In fact, uh, they're gonna do most of the cleaning uh, while we have our meeting. And I love my parents, and I'm a like a lot alike them in many ways, both good and bad. I'm sure we all can think of those moments when maybe we do something and we're like, "Oh, I'm just like my mom," or "Oh, I'm just like my dad," and it's like I don't want to do that, but that's how we are because uh, we spend so much time with them. They lead us, they grow us, they discipline us, and we watch them and observe them as we're growing up. And, like, that should be the same thing with our Heavenly Father, um, that if we've been adopted into his family, that he's, he's now our Father, and so we should spend time with him and watch him and follow him. And so one of the main attributes of God is his holiness, which we've sang about. And so the main point today in the passage that we're going to look at is to be holy as God our Father is holy. Um, so turn with me to First Peter. Um, our main passage is going to be 13 through 21, but I'm going to go ahead and read all the context beforehand because our passage starts with therefore. And so just as a reminder of a couple times I've preached in the last couple months where we've looked at First Peter, um, I'm going to read most of chapter 1. So 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy, that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. 
It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this good news that Christ, he lived, he died, he was resurrected, that through him we can be born again. If we repent and put our faith in him, we can come to new life. That there's these great promises in here that, that you will guard us, that you won't let us slip away, but you will guard us for the inheritance that we're awaiting. And we thank you for this great truth that if, if we're in Christ, then we've been chosen by you. That even before the foundations of the world, that Christ was known to be our Redeemer. So God, as we think through and look at this passage today, God, I ask that um, you, would, you would use it to change our hearts, to shape us from one degree of glory to another and to more and more be like your son, to be more and more holy. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, last two sermons I've preached, we, look at, we looked at the beginning of 1 Peter, and so, kind of as a recap, we saw that Christians in the first two verses are chosen by the Father, and then they're set apart or sanctified by the Spirit for obedience or being placed into this new covenant given by Christ. And then, two weeks ago, we looked at how that should lead us to inexpressible joy in Him in this promise, in this inheritance, and that God has saved us from our sins. And so this week, now, Peter goes on to what this should mean for us. Uh, this therefore, that now we are God's children, so we should live that identity out with hope and joy, standing firm in faith and holiness, even amidst suffering. Because remember, these people that Peter's writing to, uh, they're, they're suffering, they're uh, being ridiculed, they're being mocked, imprisoned um, for their faith. But even still, they should find joy in the gospel and should live holy lives even 
even when it means that they'll suffer for it. So when we think about 1 Peter as a whole, so it starts off with this great truth of who we are, of the gospel, and then it goes into, all right, so now be holy and be loving. Because right after this section, there's kind of four commands. There's one, set your hope on the grace ahead. Then two, to be holy. And then three, which is in the passage after this, is to love others earnestly. And then four, to crave the pure spiritual milk. And when we think about those, uh, like the first one is our motivation, that this grace ahead that's going to lead us as we walk with Christ. What does it look like to walk with Christ? It means to love God, to be holy. And then it means to love those around us, to love our neighbors. And then what sustains us through all of that is is the spiritual milk of of the word, of of spending time with God. Um, Then after, after this, he kind of reiterates all that. He reminds them that, hey, even if the world rejects you, they rejected Christ. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. So live out your time here on earth as exiles, doing good in the sight of all those around you. And then he unpacks, like, all right, this is what it means to live holy and loving lives in relation to the government and your marriage and your workplace and the church and even when you suffer. And so today's passage, is the main focus is to set our eyes on the grace ahead and to be holy. So when we think about setting our, our mind on the grace ahead, um, it says our mind should be prepared for action, or sober and self-controlled. So this isn't just our way of thoughts, but it's also our thoughts leading to how we act. And and this, this word here for self-controlled or sober-minded, it's in comparison to being kind of intoxicated and led by our former passions of ignorance in later verses. That it's putting all that aside and saying, I'm going to do everything I can to guard my mind so I can look, look at the gospel, remember the gospel. And it's... it's not just this present gospel, this present grace, but it's, it's the future good news that not only has what Christ has done saved me, but he's going to remake and redeem the world and return and judge the living and the dead. That talks about that, the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this Revelation just means this revealing of when Christ returns in bodily form to bring his kingdom here on earth, where heaven and earth are united and God's people are with him forever. Um, that, but that also means, he's, as we also saying, that he's going to come and judge the living and the dead, that he's going to bring justice and justice means he's going to make things right. Which, for those in Christ, that means like these wrongs will be undone. But for those not in Christ, that means that Christ didn't pay for your sins, and now you have to pay those. 
So it's a joy for the believer and a terror for the unbeliever. And that should, that should motivate us to sh- share the gospel with others, that knowing that there's a way out, that, that Christ, his blood is perfect, it fully paid for any sin for those that put their trust in him. Um, and so even now, like, Constantly, we're longing for justice when things are done wrong. Um, like you see, over the news, there's injustice in so many different ways. And some people are rightfully angry, but then some people then turn that into unrighteous anger and sin and destruction. And then it just escalates. It's been escalating and escalating in so many cities and... It's going to continue on the next few weeks because people are hurt and suffering. People have died. They've lost their jobs. And everyone's angry and trying to place the blame on other people. Um, and anger, anger is it's complicated. It can be both good and bad. Because uh, God is angry. He, he has righteous anger against sin. Um, and the Bible tells us, like, to be angry at sin, and to be angry, but then don't sin. Because um, if we think of like Genesis 34, Levi and Simeon, they had every right to be angry at the terrible thing that happened when their sister was raped. But then, instead of bringing justice, they wipe out an entire city, which is completely disproportionate to the wrong that was done. And so they get skipped over and ultimately the right of the firstborn goes to Judah. Um, That anger, if righteously, like it should lead us to action, but it shouldn't lead us to sin. Um, And when we're angry at injustice, we should look look to Christ because we know that ultimately... Christ is going to bring justice, that we don't have to enact it ourselves, but we, we await it, await him. So turn with me quick to Psalm 10. So the psalmist in Psalm 10 is wondering where God is because he sees all this injustice here. But then at, by the end of it, he remembers that, no, God's not turning a blind eye, but he will come and write it. Um, So, Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, but out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. 
He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself, for you have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. That ultimately, God, God is the only one who's perfectly just. And so our hope is in him. Um, when we see injustice and it makes us angry, we know that we can speak out against it like John the Baptist did, and it may make us lose our head. Uh, we may refuse to stop praying as Daniel did and be thrown into a lion's den, or refuse to bow down to a statue and be thrown into fire, or refuse to stop calling out sin and be thrown into a pit like Jeremiah was, or sawed in half like Isaiah, that ultimately like, we, we put our hope on in God and what God has done and we follow him and we remember that that he he is the one who is good he is the one that humbles the proud and exalts the humble the one that says the first shall be last and the last shall be first and so all of this then is future grace when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. But then that's also the time when his people are united with him, that he's revealed to the world and we're gathered with him in celebration in this final wedding feast that we've been all awaiting. And then sin and death are eradicated and God was with his people forever on this new heaven and earth that's, that's together. And that's what we set our hope on. If we think about this as a race, is that's the prize that we look to as we run, is that Christ is going to return and make all things good. So it, it motivates us to be holy and loving. Um, so then the second thing is, it says to be holy. And he says it in a few different ways, to um, be holy as your Father is holy, uh, to be holy in all your conduct, to not behave as you once did, to forget the former passions of your ignorance. Um, and so when we think about holiness, the word holy just means, it means set apart. It means it's like, so if we think of something that's been consecrated, uh, like back in the Old Testament in the temple, uh, they had tools like, a shovel for shoveling the ash. It wasn't different than any other, other shovels other than it's been appointed for this purpose and so now it's different. 
Now it's set apart. Now it needs to be cared for and protected and treated in a certain way because it's different from all the other shovels. It's, it's been set apart. It's holy. And, and so God, God, he is holy because he, he's different than all of creation. He is perfect and he is good. Um, when like, Jesus says, like, God alone is good. Um, and so God is perfect, other, it's completely indescribable because he's not anything like what we can see or hear or taste or touch. Um, and then we're called to be like him, to be holy like him. Um, and what Peter is doing here, he's drawing off of what the Israelites were commanded to be. Um, over and over again in Leviticus, uh, it says, God is telling his people to be holy as I am holy. And so, when someone becomes a believer, they're placed into this new family, into this new kingdom. And so now, now they're alienated from the rest of the world because they're part of this chosen people. And so by the very, very nature of conversion, you're alienated from the rest of the world. And we looked at that a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> it means now you're in exile here. You're a sojourner. And so Peter tells us, all right, so now we're here on this earth in the exile, awaiting to go home to our better home that's better than this world filled with pain and death. Um, but while we're here, while we're in exile, we're to conduct ourselves with fear of God, of this holy reverence of he is the one that who is good. And he, he deigned to save us. Who, who are we but just sinful rebels and yet he sends his own son to die for us. We who've spat in his face and said, no, you are not king. I am. I do what I want. And these people, even when we're God's enemies, he sends his son in love to die for us. Um, and so we're called to be holy as God our Father is holy. Formerly, we're, we were ignorant of God now we have knowledge of Christ and of God. Formerly, we weren't God's children, but now we've been adopted into his family and we're children and heirs of God. Formerly, we just followed our own desires, did whatever was right in our own eyes, but now we're called to obedience to our Father. Formerly, we lived our futile, pointless ways of life, but now we have a holy way of life. And formerly, we fit into a society and affirmed, we were affirmed by a society and we fit in and did whatever the world, the rest of the world did. But now we're misunderstood and maligned by society. Um, that just as the readers, the original readers here were thought, thought down of like, if we're following Christ and the rest of the world is not, they aren't going to like us because 
One, we're saying they're sinners. And two, we're saying that that deserves punishment. And no one likes being told they're wrong. We're all stubborn and prideful. And so that's why they stumble, they stumble at the rock of Christ. But then there's that good news of that it's not just all condemnation, but that's the promise of, of, sa- of being saved, that Christ paid for it. If you just repent of your sins and put your faith in him, that it's paid for. Um, but not only does Christ's blood pay the debt that we owe um, and makes us satisfactory in the eyes of God, but here it says that it redeemed us from our former ways. That no longer are we enslaved to follow our own sinful desires, but now we've been set free. And who, who the Son sets free is free indeed, uh, Jesus says in the Gospel of John. And so, to be holy then, is to be like God, but it's also, to be holy is to love God above all else. Um, because it's, all this is based off of the first the greatest commandment, to love our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That if we're, if we're doing that, we're following after him. We're being a peculiar people, different from the rest of the world, because we're following God. Um, and so to be holy is to love God above all else. Above your possessions, above your job, above sports, above politics, above even your own family, above entertainment, above status, that to be holy is to love God above all else. And so because he calls us to be holy and he gives us a home so that here now we're exiles and we're, we're awaiting this better kingdom now. So that's, that's why we're holy is because of what Christ does, what the Spirit does, that it fills us and sets us apart, gives us new desires, gives us a new heart, and sets us free from our old desires and our old hearts of stone. But then the question is, like, what, do, what does it even look like to be holy? Because um, we, we keep saying that, and like, it kind of loses all meaning. Um, but to be holy means... That whatever God says we do, that whatever God values, we value. Whatever God loves, we love. Whatever God hates, we hate. That if God hates sin, we should hate the sin in our life. And as we grow and walk with him throughout our life, and become more and more like him, we become even more cognizant of just how short we fall of perfection. That as we grow, we realize what Christ did is even greater than what I originally thought years ago. Um, there's this quote I really love that um, the greatest of saints is always conscious of them as the worst of sinners. Um, that we see that in Paul. He's like, like, I may be called an apostle, but I'm the least of all the apostles because of what I did that I'm a murderer. Um, and 
he was. Um, but we should recognize like, every day as we go to him to repentance should fill us more and more with awe and thankfulness and joy of what Christ has done for us. And that should in turn shape us and transform us to follow after him. And so then after this, Peter continues on, all right, so love God, be holy, follow him, be obedient children because he's, he's your father. Spend time with him and follow him. Look at him. Look at what he does. But then the second thing that we'll look at in a couple weeks is, all right, now be loving. Be loving to your neighbor. Be loving to your people in our new family. Um, and then crave the spiritual milk of God that, that sustains you. And so, when we think about this, uh, some things to then apply and take to our life is, all right, if I'm supposed to set my mind fully on the grace to come, remembering that Christ is going to return, is then, like, we're, we're so forgetful. Um, so we need to spend time with one another, which is hard to do right now. But that's the purpose of God adopting us into our new family and giving us brothers and sisters in Christ is so we can remind one another and care after one another um, and not be like Cain who says, am I my brother's keeper? But no, we, we are our brothers and sisters' keepers, that we encourage one another even as the ends of the day draw near. Um, and so we spend time with one another, but we also spend time in here. Uh, we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Or at least we should. I don't. But I should. I should remember every day what Christ has done and say, thank you. Um, and say, not just turn aside from that and spit on that, but no, be like, thank you. I do not deserve this. I'm going to follow you now. I'm going to lift up my own cross, as Jesus calls us to do, to die to ourselves, to die from our old things of, I want to do whatever I want to do. But instead, now we say, no, I want to do what my Father does. I want to be like him. I want to grow and be just like my dad. That, that he's, if we've never had a father or a good father, that God is this good father, this perfect father. Um, and even if we have had a good father, he's not perfect, but God, he's the perfect father. And he wants us to look at him, spend time with him, follow him, and to be holy because he is holy. Um, so let's pray. God, we need your help. We can't do this by ourselves. And that's why you give us the helper. So God, fill us anew every day with your spirit. Renew our minds. Shape our desires. God, every day help us to kill the sin within us and to behold you, to replace it with awe and reverence of you and following after you and love of you. And God, help us to see your holiness in greater measure. 
And let that spur us on to see what Christ has done for us in greater measure. God, I ask that as weeks to come, as things continue to seem to spiral in our cities throughout this, this country that you've called us to be exiles in, God, help us to to condemn wrong, to condemn violence and destruction, but to point them to to the better hope, the better hope of future justice. But also let us not be silent at injustice, but to hate sin. And let us speak out against wrongfulness and to follow you above all else, even if it means that we should suffer for it. So God, We ask that you continue to fill us with your grace. In your son's name we pray.